Welcome to In Layman's Terms, a podcast dedicated to discipleship and putting scripture to use in our daily lives. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. I'm the Communications Director for the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church, comprised of approximately 1,000 churches in Kansas and Nebraska. As the title of this podcast suggests, I'm not ordained clergy, so what I share comes to you in layman's terms. I have more than 20 years of experience teaching the Bible to everyone from teens to 90-somethings, and I'm excited to share what Scripture has to say to us in today's society, and I love to tell stories of how people live their faith. Some episodes focus on a person or church doing great things to serve as the hands and feet of Christ. Some episodes include interviews with experts who can help us along our faith journey. And other episodes include some short reflections on Scripture. Thank you for joining me. mission of the United Methodist Church is to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. But what exactly does that mean? And how do we achieve it? Well, the meaning is actually fairly simple, at least to me. We're seeking a change in the hearts and minds of men and women everywhere, helping them achieve a close relationship with Jesus Christ. That relationship changes a person's heart, and one person at a time, we change. We change a person, a family, a neighborhood, a full community. We change a city, a state, a nation, and eventually a world. You get the idea. But how? Well, we have to get people to think in ways of love for other people. And not just people like ourselves, but all people. Thinking is the start of the change. That's what I consider to be step one of three. But John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist movement, knew thinking wasn't enough. The book of James tells us in chapter 2, verse 26, that faith without works is dead. We have to show our faith by living it out. We have to help others. We have to respond in times of need. We have to stand up for justice for people who are being treated unjustly. Frankly, I see that as step three. In between is what I consider to be step two, what John Wesley called the practice of living a righteous life. Wesley thought doctrine and belief started the Christian journey. Right belief is what he called it. And that right belief leads to right practice. And how did John Wesley try to accomplish that? Through class meetings. These were gatherings of small numbers of people, about a dozen, in their homes. There were no churches. These were friends and neighbors who came together. They learned from each other. They worshiped God. They introduced newcomers to their ever-inviting group, to Jesus Christ. And then they held each other accountable. Questions such as, how is it with your soul, were not out of place or deemed to be too intrusive, as we tend to look at them today. Class meeting became the key structure in the Methodist movement, particularly when the faith spread so rapidly across the early American landscape. And how fast did it spread? Well, from 1800 to 1850, membership in the United States rose an astonishingly 1,940%. That's right, 1,940% to more than a million members. And that meant that one out of every 23 people you came across in this country were Methodists. For comparison's sake, that number is now one in about every 40 to 42 Americans. Class meetings tied people together. Class meetings raised up lay leadership in areas where there were no clergy. 
and class meetings helped evangelize the prairies and backwaters of the United States. It's part of our history. But could such a movement today, in the 21st century, help rebuild a sense of community? Could it help move people from right thinking to right practice? Could such a focused faith strategy today lead people to Jesus? Can hearts be changed and a world transformed? That's what we'll be exploring together in these next few episodes of In Layman's Terms. In a world disrupted by the spread of COVID-19 and finally awakening to the way racism is incompatible with the teachings of Christ, the Great Plains Conference plans to respond, at least in part, by restoring relationships, building community, and revitalizing churches. In this episode, we'll explore how class meetings fit into a strategy for all of our Great Plains churches. I think one of the things uh, that we've been struggling with is how do we continue to provide a Wesleyan witness um, in all of our communities? That's Reverend Cindy Cargis. She's the superintendent for the Great West and Gateway Districts in western Nebraska. Her territory is roughly half the state. And I think this gives us an opportunity to, to look back at who we were in our beginnings um, and see what we can glimpse and learn from that time um, to see how that might apply today. Because in some ways, I think we're moving uh, to a time when we have um, more churches than we have pastors. Um, and how do we um, continue um, to provide that Wesleyan witness, especially in um, declining communities, um, you know, where there is population de decline. That's what I see in my area. With a disproportionate number of small congregations, at least compared to many other districts, and long distances between towns and churches, Cargus sees class meetings as a possible way of helping small rural churches to remain connected and vital in their communities. I think initially uh, the impetus in some of the churches that I serve is really the worship piece, right? How, how do we have um, pastoral uh, leadership for worship? Um, you know, they already do a lot of, these, you know, churches are churches, they care for each other, you know, those some of those pieces. Um, but the piece about the past, the, the worship piece. So that's kind of um, pushing, I think, the, uh, the opportunity for us to look at how do we um, have worship maybe in some different ways. Um, so some of the, the ideas are really strengthening the network model. In fact, that's what we're getting ready to implement in the Great West. Networks, for people unfamiliar with that term, are clusters of churches that work together to provide each other with resourcing, to provide support, and basically to cooperate on ministries beneficial to a wider geographic area than their own little town. Uh, we have two churches um, that have gone to quarter time in finding, uh, and their and their their um, their location in the Great West is is difficult to find someone who could commute in to to do that. Uh, so we're going to strengthen the network um, so the church will feel the support of the connection. Um, but it'll be right there um, because there's a, there will be a, ne the network clergy leader will be the one working with the class leader um, to make sure that worship is provided. Um, and then when there is need for pastoral care, um, funerals, weddings, hospitalization, something, some, uh, you know, critical needs in hospitals, then the, the network leader will um, uh, provide that or other pastors in the network. So I think it's a way to be connectional and for churches to know they're not alone. Um, and even if they don't have a local pastor in their midst, I mean, a resident pastor um, in their midst or in their parish, um, we're still there. The church is still there and they're still connected and we're going to do uh, what we can to, to support them in that process. The concept of class meeting goes back to the era of the circuit riders, but it's adaptable to today. 
We'll get more into the history of it later, but just so you have a little context here, let me explain at a 10,000-foot level. Churches with appointed clergy would assist churches without a pastor, but those churches without a pastor won't be without leadership. The difference is their leader would be a layperson, a class leader, who helps provide spiritual guidance to a small group of people who otherwise can't afford or sustain appointed clergy. Reverend Don Hasty, superintendent of the Dodge City and Hayes districts in western Kansas, and that's a little more than a third of the state, is about to emphasize the importance of that class leader. You'll hear a name from him, David Lowe's Watson, who's a retired elder from the Tennessee Conference, but who's also a native of England. He literally wrote the book on class leaders for what is now Discipleship Ministries of the United Methodist Church back in the 1990s. Hasty thinks that David Lowe's Watson's idea of drawing on the past makes sense for our current reality and sets us up to make a bigger impact for Christ in our combined future. I think that um, the class leader disappeared from uh, Methodism. Uh, David Lowe's Watson says uh, in the late 1800s uh, when the circuit riders dismounted. Um, I was at an event uh, for district superintendents uh, put on by TMF. TMF, that's the Texas Methodist Foundation. Besides fundraising and stewardship, this organization provides a lot of training with an eye toward congregational vitality. Bishop Huey was talking and she was showing a, a video about uh, the reintroduction of wolves into the ecosystem in uh, Yellowstone and how uh, it just cascaded, uh, bringing even ultimately changing the course of rivers uh, with just all the different populations that were impacted by the wolves bringing the elk under control. And uh, so she asked the question, what do we think is missing from our ecosystem? And I thought about lay leadership, and I, I thought about um, the class leader. And um, it, it seems like what the class leader brings is a, a, an approach to small group uh, class meetings where the focus is on uh, Christian maturity. And a big piece of that is mutual accountability. And um, so I, I think that... Uh, the, this could just uh, be part of a big paradigm shift in, in how we do um, church, how we build disciples. So what happened? How did we lose such strong lay leadership? Well, let's be clear first of all. We still have strong lay leadership in a lot of our churches. But the reality we have to face is that we have a lot of congregations that are lacking in lay leadership. Lots of churches. People who know me understand my theory on this. We as United Methodists long ago decided that we pay our pastors, so clearly it must be their job to make disciples, right? Wrong. Jesus called all people in Matthew 28 to make disciples. So if we, as lay people, aren't doing that, we're not doing our assigned task from our Savior. If we don't do that, we aren't fulfilling our responsibility as Christians. I shared my thoughts on this matter with Cindy Cargus. Here she is with a theory. I think that what's happened is, is that we actually, the pastors, I think have made churches pastor dependent over time. You know, I mean, I, that's what I really kind of think that, that in that process, right, we have more and more clergy, more and more pastors. And so, I mean, it was kind of an, I guess in some ways a natural move, um, but you're right. I think we've made um, the ministry so focused on the pastor. Um, and I, I was reminded thinking about this, that 
liturgy, the word liturgy, we use liturgy and worship means work of the people. Um, so I think that's a really important thing to remember that that's really uh, that's who the church is, right? The church is really uh, the laity, really. I think that's an important point. It's mid-July as I record this, the season when some of our clergy are starting new appointments in what to them are new churches. Clergy come and go, but the laity, because they live there, sometimes all their lives, are there to stay. The church is really theirs. The pastor may provide spiritual leadership, but it's up to the laity of the church if that church is going to make a positive impact on their community, at least over a long stretch of time. So who is a class leader in the 21st century? It turns out they're already there. Again, here's Don Hasty. I think one of the things that um, I, I gained from listening to David Lowe's Watson was that um, these are people in the congregation who others are already looking to for leadership. These are people uh, who are already respected in what they, their wisdom, uh, their walk with Christ, um, and uh, so it's, it's identifying uh, that which is already happening and, um, and empowering those people then to, to take on more of a pastoral role um, in um, the ministry with, with uh, the group they're part of and, and maybe formalizing some of that. Um, Part of it would be giving them recognition and authority to, to carry out a specific ministry. Cindy Cargus leans toward a common illustration for Christian leadership. One way has been described as kind of being a shepherd of the congregation, because um, I think uh, Don is right. There are already people who are there, and I think a lot of times if we ask, you know, who is the spiritual leader of your congregation? Who are some spiritual leaders? Those, those names will surface, um, and, and I think that's uh, an important peace, um, like Don said, that there are people already there, right, uh, that, that can um, help people with their own spiritual growth, um, who can um, provide the connections that, that people need with, to be with each other, uh, whether, and uh, um, to really be the shepherd. So, as a conference, we're going to be helping churches to embrace their roots and focus on the building of that lay leadership that we once had in our denomination, and that we certainly have the gifts and graces to recapture today. But where do we start? Here again is Don Hasty. The place we need to start probably is in our smaller churches where we are losing uh, the ability to have pastoral leadership. And uh, uh, that David Lowe's Watson says that um, the class leader really came about because the, the pastor couldn't uh, disciple everyone one-on-one. -on -one. And, and so the, the need is there for somebody in the absence of a pastor to, to bring about the discipleship we need. I think of a situation that uh, has come about. We're going to um, take three churches that uh, two of them have been without a pastor for a year. And um, the other one ha had the fortune of having a husband and wife appointed there to share a one point, I mean, a, a full-time pastorate. And their schedules are now there. They have the uh, luxury. They have the benefit of having a little more time that they can each give to that. So they're going to both go three-quarter time and create a cooperative parish. But there's laity that have gotten involved in leadership of these two churches during the, the time that they, those two churches were without a pastor. And so we're visioning this being a, 
a team of leadership with two clergy and several laity. Um, and I'm hoping that we can begin to use uh, the class meeting as part of the discipleship plan in that cooperative parish. I think that that could then become a way we do a ministry as we find that some of our churches are not able to have support an appointed pastor. And, uh, and we'll start linking churches together. And I, I think this can be a part of what the future looks like in, in uh, our rural areas. So let's review. This can and is working. I think we need more of this. We have some realities that we need to face, not just in the Great Plains Conference or even in our denomination. Smaller congregations just can't afford a full-time pastor anymore. It's nobody's fault, really. Society has changed, and we have communities, particularly in rural areas of our two states, that are facing declining populations as people move to cities for better job opportunities. Even quarter-time pastors may have two churches they serve to make the economics work for the congregations. Now, this might seem like a huge shift, and it is. But we've learned to be flexible, haven't we? Say, since, oh, about mid-March? Hasty continues. We're in this time with COVID, and, and there's been so much disruption. Um, when we talk about a, a paradigm shift, it seems like... Um, that really only becomes possible for that shift to be made when there's this flux that's created by the disruption. So, so we have, in a sense, a, an opportunity made for us, though, though we regret so many things about this situation. Um, but the fact that we are doing church so differently right now makes the possibility that we could really make this shift. Up to now, we focused on smaller churches because of the need. But class meetings are something that can benefit the larger church as well. I mean, why not bolster lay leadership in every congregation so all of our communities benefit, right? I asked Cindy Cargas how this movement will help larger churches. Well, I think um, in a couple of ways. I guess just, uh, first of all, just in terms of the connection, um, I know we will be looking to some of those churches to provide the kind of leadership that we need in the area. So there may be um, a lay speaker who might, you know, uh, there might be a, a greater connection between the larger church and some of our smaller churches. So just in a kind of practical way. Uh, but I also think the model of using, um, you know, the, the, the small groups, because we've talked a lot about over the years of small groups, um, and, and this would be something that's really true to who we are as United Methodists. And I think something that could be kind of consistent for the long haul, um, I think in many ways. You know, so I think it's, it's a way that can, um, a, a church can, um, provide that kind of closer relationship, uh, really more intimate, right? I mean, really a more intimate uh, relationship than, than people can have just, you know, in the meetings and, and the ways of the action, the activities that we do, which are important, they're important, um, but how can we really nurture that spiritual piece? Um, the other thing I think that's kind of exciting about the larger churches and, and doing uh, like class meetings is now with the, with the use of Zoom um, and other technology in the last few months, uh, I'm, I'm hearing really great stories of Bible study groups that have grown uh, because people are, are joining from home, you know, or, or um, you know, spirituality groups that are, that are growing because people are able to join from home. So I think it is a great opportunity um, and that people have had a, a moment in time here to kind of stop um, and if they haven't even stopped, at least we're, we're functioning in different ways. And I think it's allowed people to have some reflection. Um, 
about themselves, but also I think the reflection about what is most central in the life of the church. You know, what is it that we are, that really is most vital to us being vital? Um, and, and I've been trying to have some of those conversations with pastors and saying, let's, let's not um, miss this opportunity, right? What is it that we need to focus more on? Now, we may have to give up some things or hand those off or, well, what is it that is most important? And it seems like um, the Wesley class meeting really um, correlates with what I think most of us believe is really most vital to the life of the church. There's so much more, but we'll dive into more topics around this idea of class meetings in future episodes. First, I want to dive just a little bit deeper into the history of class meetings and the benefits that they can have for making disciples and, in turn, transforming the world. You heard the name David Lowe's Watson a few times earlier. When we return to in layman's terms, we'll talk with this prolific author. Turns out he's pretty excited about what he thinks can happen here in the Great Plains. We'll explore that and more when we're back in just a few moments. How does your church celebrate big events? How does it gather the community together? How does it sometimes introduce you to people you might not have known? Many times in the Great Plains, it's with a potluck dinner. And that's what we try to do with our podcast, Potluck. This is David Burke from the Great Plains Conference and host of Potluck, where we do, in audio form, all the things a potluck dinner does. Celebrate big events, gather the community, and introduce you to new and interesting people. Listen to Potluck, available at greatplainsumc.org. Matthew 28 tells us to make disciples of Jesus Christ, but how can you do that? You can help by providing some inspiration each morning to someone else. Just go to www.greatplainsumc.org slash daily devotions. Once there, you'll find a QR code and a link to a sign-up page. Pick your day and your topic. If you need some assistance, there's even a link to the Vanderbilt University Daily Lectionary. Follow the instructions for submitting your devotion, and you've done your part to help inspire and encourage others in their Christian walk. Again, that's www.greatplainsumc.org slash daily devotions. Help make more disciples today. Welcome back to In Layman's Terms. I'm your host, Todd Seifert. As I said before the break, I had the chance to speak to Reverend David Lowe's Watson. He's written books about discipleship formation, class leaders, and covenant discipleship. He's also consulted with many in annual conference and congregations about these important topics. I had the chance to talk with him a short time ago, and he was excited about the idea of the Great Plains placing an emphasis on class meetings and developing class leaders. I mean, he was really excited about it. Educated at Oxford, you'll note his British accent fairly quickly. He's a cordial man who clearly knows his stuff, and he wants his audience, be it a crowd, or in this case, just one guy on the other end of a Zoom call, to understand it as well. What has interested me and what you're doing here uh, with the conference is that you are now exactly doing what Wesley did, finding lay people who have the gifts and the grace 
to help their fellow church members to follow the general rule. And the general rule of discipleship is we will witness to Jesus Christ in the world and we will follow his teachings through acts of compassion, acts of justice, acts of worship, and acts of devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Now that really is derived from John Wesley's general rules, what he called works of mercy and works of piety. We've made that a little more specific. The works of mercy are compassion and justice. The works of piety are devotion and worship. And to have that as a kind of template for what the class leaders do, it gives them an agenda that doesn't simply consist of dropping by and saying, well, how are things with you, you know? Um, that there is a method to Methodism. And while John Wesley is sometimes criticized for being a bit too methodical, on the other hand, an awful lot of time did not get wasted with these pastoral visits. How is it with you, first of all? How is it with your soul? How is your faith? But secondly, how are you following this general rule? Now, by the way, that is in our book of discipline. I don't know if you have the reference for that, but I can send it to you when we're through here. In case you're curious, I did not have him send me the reference. I was able to find it in paragraph 1117, point number two. And in case you missed it, the general rule for discipleship is, quote, to witness to Jesus Christ in the world and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under guidance of the Holy Spirit, unquote. One of the things David Lowe's Watson is known for is his grasp of Methodist history, so I couldn't pass up the chance to have him give me, and us, a brief history of how class meetings came into being. Well, this all began in the city of Bristol, that's in the West Country, and uh, that's made, Wesley made that one of his big headquarters. But it didn't begin as a class meeting. It began with class leaders who were part of the society. The society met together once a week and sometimes more. When he says societies, think churches. But really, these are just larger groups of people. There were no Methodist churches yet. The class leaders were people who were given pastoral responsibility for visiting a number of the members in their homes. And they began to do that until they ran into problems. Because a lot of the early Methodists were very much from the working class and in a household, they would be the servants. And the owners of the house resented a Methodist class leader knocking on their door to talk to one of their servants and made it difficult for them to do that. And of course, they also wondered, were some of these servants gossiping about things they shouldn't be gossiping about? They didn't know about these Methodists and what they were up to. And that led to Wesley saying, well, instead of going around to all these people, which was very time consuming and it was all done on foot, why don't we bring them together and hold a meeting? And that was what began the class meeting. So that instead of the leaders going round, the people in the class came to meet with the leaders. 
usually at the Methodist headquarters. And by the way, the oldest Methodist building in the world is in the city of Bristol. And it now is a, 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 an international place of pilgrimage. And in fact, they about five years ago got a major grant from the European Union to build a visiting center around this new room. So a lot was happening in this particular place. But they didn't begin with the class meeting. What they began with were lay people. At first, it was only men, but later women joined them who accepted a pastoral responsibility for a group of other Methodists. So that was the start of the class meeting. But the concept really took off later when Wesley and his followers instituted the concept of circuit riders. This was the group that really grabbed my attention because this is how the Methodist movement exploded westward and across the prairie. These traveling preachers often trekked for five or six weeks at a time to cover their territories. Since they couldn't be everywhere at once, the class leader was looked at as the person to serve as the spiritual leader of the small group of people. The, the circuit riders, in fact, uh, really were the heroes of early Methodism. Uh, there's one picture in one of the histories of American Methodism that shows you a little bundle of rags at the foot of a church in a snowstorm. And the title of the picture is just very, very, very poignant an early circuit rider who froze to death. They gave their lives for this. And therefore, what we have to do, I think, is to realize, well, first of all, the early circuit riders were not necessarily ordained clergy very often. That came later, when the first Methodist church was founded. And by the way, the first Methodist church happened in this country, not in England. This was where the Methodist Church began. There were still just societies in England that came under the Church of England. But here, there was this big declaration, we are now a Methodist Church, and we know the year 1784. So we've got a long tradition here that we can really rely on lay people for. Of course, when Wesley gave authority for the Methodist clergy here to be ordained, what he hadn't bargained for was that the following day, Asbury would also create bishops, <laughs> which we've had ever since. Whereas British Methodist Church never has had bishops. And in fact, a lot of world Methodism does not have bishops, though a lot of world Methodism does, uh, following it in the American tradition. So how might a congregation get started? First, I need to disclose that the point of cabinet and bishop are working on how best to resource churches so they have what they need to lift up and nurture a new generation of class leaders. We'll have more information on that in a future episode. But David Lowe's Watson had a thought or two about what churches could do now to help get the ball rolling. Of all the lay leadership we have in the church today, lay pastoral leadership has in one way or another devolved onto the clergy. Um, the people believe it or not, who carry that role best today are Sunday school teachers. They're the ones who can be relied on, they're regular, and they also have a small congregation, which is the class. Okay? The class leader 
will evolve in the same way. But while the Sunday school teacher is more of an educator, the class leader is more of a lay pastor. Mm -hmm. The trouble is that the word lay pastor has also taken a different direction where you have a lay person appointed as a clergy person. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about people who are indigenous to the congregation that are recognized for their leadership. Make no mistake, while David Lowe's Watson is enamored by the history of class meetings and class meetings in our Methodist past, he sees the class meeting and class leaders as not something of the past, but rather a roadmap toward a vital disciple-making future. To get this started in a congregation, you might just ask every person in a congregation to put down the names or names of their fellow church members that they see following this general rule. Who are your fellow members, for example, who are gifted with hands-on ministry of compassion? Which of your church members get really fired up when it comes to social justice? Right? Which, by the way, is a big national theme just now. Right? Mm -hmm. And then, of course, you come to the works of piety. You have personal devotions, but you also have corporate worship. Now, when you're talking about the character of a class leader, I would like to begin at a different point. If these congregations are vital congregations, we didn't invent them. We did not recruit them. It was the Holy Spirit who moved and brought these people together to form a congregation. So the starting point is not to ask who has the character to do this, but rather who are the people who are following this general rule in one way or another. And that at a certain point, first of all, we have to recognize that the identity of these small congregations has to be affirmed. We don't come to them and say, this is last resort. <laughs> we come to them and say, you have been anointed here. You are following the Holy Spirit in this congregational witness. And we want to affirm that. The way that we can do this is by finding men and women in your congregation who show the gifts and the grace to do this. And it could even be in the form of, a, of an open uh, piece of paper with all the different things on it. But who are the men and women who you know in your congregation who are very good in acts of compassion? They understand what it means to love your neighbor. They're always looking for ways of helping. They're always looking for ways of, in fact, showing the grace of Jesus Christ with hands-on ministry. But then there are very probably in the congregation, some people, probably not as many as the compassionate ones, who do get fired up on justice. And by justice, we don't just mean the politics that's going on right now. We mean people who know what's right and who stand by what is right. And the rightness is not self-centered, it's their neighbor. People who really get riled when they see somebody being 
not treated well. And of course, that again is part of our national scene right now, but that's why I feel that John Wesley has a lot to give to us today in all of this. Now, by the same token, compassion and justice have to be matched with devotion and worship. A lot of people are very regular in worship. In fact, a lot of lay people are the people who make sure that we do worship. However, we've also got devotion, and devotion is some kind of personal prayer and Bible reading that people do themselves. So you have the personal acts of devotion. What it means is that when you are practicing personal devotions, then you also must be worshiping together with your fellow Christians. There's no such things as a closet Christian. You go into your closet for your personal devotions, but you also come together to worship God and the risen Christ. to let that starting point for class meetings be our ending point for this episode of In Layman's Terms. In coming episodes, we'll take a look at what class meetings actually look like. We'll talk to lay leaders in the Great Plains Conference. We'll address how the appointed cabinet intends to help pastors equip laity in their congregations. And we'll talk more about how this strategy can be a benefit to all individual United Methodist Christians, as well as the church. I want to say thanks again to my guests, the ever-thoughtful Cindy Cargis, Don Hasty, who has one of the best voices around, and to David Lowe's Watson, who was so gracious with his time and who humored a history nerd with all of his questions about circuit riders and our denomination's heritage. In Layman's Terms is a podcast sponsored by the Great Plains Conference of the United Methodist Church and by me, your host, Todd Seifert. If you liked what you heard in this episode, please go rate us and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening. It helps other people find us. And please, if you feel so inclined, share us on Facebook or other social media. Our music comes via a licensed subscription with FirstCom Music. You can find archived podcasts on my website, toddseifert.com, or via a link on the conference website, greatplainsumc.org slash podcasts. Feel free to email me any questions or suggestions to tcypher at greatplainsumc.org and I'll do my best to respond as quickly as possible. Thanks again for listening. And until next time, please do what you can to help make more disciples of Jesus Christ. You can play a small part in helping change a life.